Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. If you have followed preaching within the confines of the holiness movement, then the name Stetler will be very familiar to you. This sermon was preached by Daryl Stetler in 2004 at the Interchurch Holiness Convention in Dayton, Ohio. You're sure to enjoy this wonderful message that he titles, Preserving Our Heritage. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, and on. It's good to be here on uh, Thursday morning, thinking all of the while that I would be here last night. But uh, when Brother Sankey came, there are several things that ran through my mind real quickly when he came and asked me if, if I would be willing to shift to this morning. And one of them was I knew I had way more material than would fit in the time slot that he gave me last night. And uh, so I mentioned that to him. And uh, then after that, I got the schedule and looked at it. And if I saw correctly, there's nothing else scheduled till 2 o'clock this afternoon. So, <laughs> so for my people at, at Burlington, I'm going to do a series this morning. I would like for you to turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'll read there in a moment. I've been asked to speak on the subject of preserving our heritage. This originally was called the Holiness Rally, and I'm really not sorry we're blending these two because I believe that uh, they, are, they are very important to each other, and you'll see that as I end this morning, the Lord willing. But uh, I, I'm grateful for the privilege of speaking on the subject that has been assigned. I, I believe, as I look across this congregation and come to IHC year after year, I believe that this crowd is very, very interested in my subject, preserving our heritage. I think that's what we want to do, isn't it? Do we want to lose this? I, I thought as we sat in the services last night and I told Brother uh, Rob this morning, we were talking and I said, it's, it's worth whatever it costs me to have my family in the atmosphere of the services last night. I have a, a daughter that just turned 19 and uh, we missed, she was born on April 14th, so we missed the IH convention that she was born that April. But I think 
this is her 18th IH convention. She hasn't missed one. I'm not so sure, but what that year is the only year I've missed since childhood. But I value, I value the heritage that is wrapped up in this convention. And uh, passing on that heritage is something very important to me. Really, it's something that concerned leaders have been concerned about for many, many years. I was reading a quote the other day from A.W. Tozer from numbers of years ago, and I want to give it to you. A.W. Tozer said, Churches and societies founded by saintly men of courage and faith and sanctified imagination appear unable to propagate themselves on the same spiritual level beyond one or two generations. Now, if he is right, and I think that that is very documentable in history, that ought to cause us to sit up and take notice. Since we who are sitting here, most of us, I believe I'm safe in saying, most of us here are second generation and in many cases third generation conservative holiness people. I was also reading a book recently by Arnold Cook by entitled Historical Drift. The book is not written from a conservative perspective. I would probably disagree with some of his application as he would probably disagree with some of ours. But he, he zeroed in on some very critical principles that I, I want to mention. He says, and I quote, Historical drift is the inherent tendency of human organizations to depart over time from their original beliefs, purposes, and practices. John Wesley lamented that as the eternal erosion of Christian values. But Mr. Cook goes on to say, and this is striking to me, he goes on to say, organizations don't drift. People do. People who lead them do. Friends, I would say to this, this morning to you, if we lose our heritage, it won't be the IH convention. It won't be the denomination I'm a part of that loses it. It'll be people that lose it. We, we don't, organizations don't drift, people drift. The Bible doesn't drift, people drift. And so if people drift, we must ask the question, why do they drift? What happens that causes organizations led by people who are drifting to, to lead their original purposes? Sometimes drifting people need to hear what they don't want to hear. My mind has raced in a thousand directions as I have considered this subject and a number of things come to my mind I don't have time to mention, but I do need to say at the outset, I don't come to you this morning as, as any kind of expert on the subject. I am a learner. I grapple with the same issues that you grapple with. I'm living in the same world you're living in, and I'm trying to, to make it through this confusing world, and I'm trying to save my own family and, and pastor a church and win people to the Lord in the same world that you're trying to do those things in. 
So I don't come to you with magical answers. I do come to you with a burning heart for the subject. I want to see us preserve and pass on our heritage. There are two things that I would like to beg of you this morning as you listen. One, I would ask you for a prayerful hearing. Secondly, I would ask you to take everything that I say within the context of the big picture of my subject. I know there are parts that will spur discussion and undoubtedly disagreement. Some may seem a little rigid and out of balance if you take them out of their context. But in this context, I believe they are very, very important. I also want to say I'm speaking to what most of us would call the conservative holiness movement this morning. Maybe that banner has fallen on hard times, but I would suggest to you this morning that it does describe what we are. We are conservative holiness people. I'm not ashamed of that banner. I don't plan to discard the banner. I plan to wear it with distinction, Lord willing, Lord God helping me, unashamedly. I hope we never lose that banner. I want to say to you this morning, this is a good way. <laughs> this is a good way. When I talk about preserving our heritage, I'm talking about preserving the conservative holiness heritage. In fact, I don't believe you can separate the two, conservative and holiness. If you lose one, you will eventually lose both. Now, I'm a child of this movement. I have now given 27 years to, uh, of ministry to this movement, and as such, my remarks today are are designed for conservative holiness people, my people. And I want you to know that I, I love this crowd. I am part of this crowd. I was born into this crowd, but I also have chosen to be a part of this crowd. And I'm not ashamed of you, and you're not going to get away from me. I'm not leaving you. <laughs> I should acknowledge that the IH convention crowd, there is a varied crowd at IHC. While most of us probably have the same general heritage, there is a certain amount of variation. There may be also some here to whom I'm speaking that do not have a conservative heritage. To all of you, I simply ask for a prayerful hearing. Nothing I say is intended to be an indictment of anybody, only an honest and earnest and passionate effort to help us keep on track and to preserve our heritage. Now, to prepare for what I want to say in a moment, I want for you for a few moments to imagine with me an imaginary line. An imaginary line. And on that line, situated on that line, from various points to from right to left or left to right, we would place all of the denominations that to one degree or another teach or used to teach the doctrine of holiness. And on that line place all the denominations that teach or used to teach a conservative lifestyle. That, of course, would include quite a spectrum. You would put there Bible Methodists, 
Bible missionary, Bible holiness, God's missionary, Wesleyan holiness, Allegheny Wesleyan. You would include Nazarene, Free Methodist. You would even include the United Methodist Church on that line. Many small groups, many independent groups as well. Now, if you place all of those denominations in varying places, wherever you choose to place them on our imaginary line, wherever you want to, then if you were to draw another line down from each of those who one day did do or did teach the doctrine of holiness and do or did teach a conservative lifestyle and draw a line from the, the imaginary line down to their point of beginning, their roots, I suggest to you this morning that we would come to and be reduced from a broad spectrum down to a single point of beginning. Pretty much the same roots. Not necessarily the same denominational roots, but pretty much from the same doctrinal and practical originating point. Now, Keep that in mind. Keep that in the back of your mind. I'll come back to it in just a moment. There are several things that I'm assuming in, in this, this morning. Number one, I'm assuming that I am talking to many preachers, denominational leaders, Bible school personnel. That to me says that I'm speaking to spiritual leaders of our movement the grassroots as well as the ecclesiastical leadership of our movement. Men and ladies, may I say to you as spiritual leaders of our movement, we are the pace setters. We are the trend setters. We set as spiritual leaders the practical and spiritual tone of our movement. What we are, what we believe, what we do, how we live will mold our churches, our families, our children, our students, our movement. What our movement becomes can be laid at the doorstep of the spiritual leadership of our movement. Secondly, I have assumed that I'm talking to moms and dads, grandmothers, granddads. I became a grandpa two months ago. I just thought that needed to be announced. But I'm talking to, to mothers and dads, grandmothers, grandfathers. That means I'm talking to the leaders of holiness homes. In one degree or another, leaders, may I say to every mother, father, grandmother, grandfather today, you carry a tremendous influence on our movement. Third, I'm assuming that I'm talking to Christians that means I'm talking to people who Jesus said are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. People whom Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even unto the end of the world. That suggests to me that you are designated as a Christian to affect, to impact the world. You are light, you are salt, and God expects you as a Christian to be a tone setter, a direction setter in the world you live in. 
Well, the principles I give today, I believe, apply to all three roles. The spiritual leader, your role as a leader of your family in whatever capacity you have found, you find yourself in the seasons of life and as a Christian in a pagan society. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 6 and verse, begin with verse 1. I want you to understand that the subject I consider this morning is not the idea of this preacher or the convention committee. God speaks very clearly. Let's begin in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land where, whither you go to possess it that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God and keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son. Friends, God is interested in passing on and preserving the heritage. All the days of thy life and all that all thy days may be prolonged. Hear, O Israel, and observe to do it that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord thy God, Lord God of thy fathers, hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day, these shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and thou, they shall be as frontlets between thy, their, thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And verse 10 says, and it shall be. If you read the following verses, you'll find God is talking about all of the blessings, the promises he has made to the children of Israel. God says, if you will do this, it shall be that I will bring you into a good land. I will give you cities you didn't build, houses full of good things you didn't fill, olive trees you didn't plant, and you will eat and be full. Later in the next chapter, God says, I'll fight for you. I'll be like hornets to your enemies. I'll keep your families. I'll take care of you. I'll prosper you. I will be faithful to you to a thousand generations if you will do what I have commanded. It is all contingent upon loving God, keeping his commandments, and teaching God's commandments to your children. So the context is family or parental responsibility. But friends, there is a principle here that is much broader than that, and that is preserving our heritage takes a passing on of our heritage from one generation to the next. That principle applies to family leadership. Thou shalt teach them to thy children, thy sons and thy sons' sons. It applies to church leadership. Paul writing later in the New Testament to Timothy, he said to Timothy, Timothy, the faith that you receive from your grandmother and your mother, I want you to take that faith and I want you to pass it on to those who will then preach that faith to others. And then Paul said, preach the word, Timothy. Be faithful to pass it on. Pass the heritage. That principle also applies to Christian leadership and responsibility. 
Jesus said we are to be light. We are to be salt. We are to teach all nations. Friends, our evangelism command is to pass on the full range of Jesus' teachings. Anything less than that is something less than what God commanded us to do. We sometimes have accepted the command to win them, but we have faltered in the command to teach them all things that I have commanded you. Friends, our evangelism command is to teach all things Jesus commanded to pass on. Maybe it has come with age. My brother says he's getting a brother back. (laughs) With my hair turning gray. He's been thought to be my dad so many times. (laughs) Maybe it's come with age. Maybe it's because my children are becoming adults. Maybe it's seen the drift from spiritual moorings in many sectors of our movement. Maybe it's the overall condition of the broader church world. Maybe it's simply the natural evolution of our movement. Whatever the reason... Preserving and passing on the heritage has become a passion in my heart. I am choosing to make passing the heritage, passing the torch, preserving what God has entrusted to me. I have chosen and am choosing to make that a priority of my life and my ministry and my family. And with that passion, I come to several firm convictions. First, I have come to the firm conviction that we have something worth preserving. I wouldn't trade the spirit of last night's service for anything in the world. We have something worth hanging on to. We can sort of drift along and become only a shadow of what we have been. But if we do, we will lose something immeasurably important and immeasurably valued. And friends, our children, the next generation, will not have a clue of what the presence of God has been if we lose our heritage. Secondly, I come to the firm conviction That if our heritage is preserved, it will have to be done on purpose. It will never happen by accident. God makes it very clear that if heritage is lost, it will be lost if it is not taught on purpose, diligently and carefully. In that process of teaching the heritage, passing on the heritage, friends, if we give an out to our children or our converts or our students, Expect them to take the out. If in the climate of this church world we offer them the option of an easier way, they will take it. If we adopt a philosophy of diversity and tolerance that makes all beliefs and philosophies of equal value, don't expect our children to take the way of the cross. If a liberal or a Calvinistic way is presented as an equal way to the holiness way. You can expect your children and your converts and your students to take that liberal way that is equal to us. The conservative way and heritage must be taught on purpose. 
Third, I come to the firm conviction that it is at the generational change points where the heritage is often lost. The passing of the torch from one generation to the next whether it's in one generation of, to the next as in family or in one generation of, to the next as in one generation of Christians to the next generation of Christians. Heritage is often lost in that transition. The fourth conviction I come to is that we are at a critical crossroads in our movement in generational transition. Have you stopped to examine our movement lately? We have, in our broader movement, we have had a generational change in leadership. Have you noticed that? Let me point it out to you. I happen to be a member of the Alabama Conference of the Bible Methodists. The Alabama Conference has had a generational change in leadership. The Ohio Conference of the Bible Methodists, generational change in leadership. The Great Lakes Conference, a generational change in leadership. We have had a generational change in connectional chairmen. Our conference executive board, I think the last time I checked, has five of eight of its members are now next generation Bible Methodists. The Allegheny Conference has moved around a little bit, but they have had a generational change in leadership. Have you looked at our schools lately? God's Bible School, Penview, GBS, and Hope Sound in Kansas City and Allegheny Wesleyan have all had generational changes in their leadership in the last few years. The New York Pilgrim Conference has had a generational change. The Midwest Pilgrim Conference has had a generational change. The pastor, the church that I pastor, went, when I went there nine and a half years ago, went from a late 70s pastor to a late or a late 70s pastor to a late 30s pastor. That's probably true in many, many churches that are represented here today. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is bad in our movement. I'm just telling you it has happened. And really, it doesn't take a conspiracy to make it happen. It doesn't take something wrong to make it happen. I am learning at 48 years old, I am learning that those kind of things happen to you as years go by. A generational change in leadership. Let me give you another application of that principle. I believe it can also be applied and we are facing a generational change from one generation of Christians to the next. That is true, first of all, because in many of our churches, our older saints are quickly passing on. Another fact is, we have, in the last few years as a movement, had an increased interest and burden for evangelism and growth and outreach. That growing interest and burden can be testified to in the bus and outreach convention. That is testimony to that fact. That is an interest and a burden that I am very grateful for. But because of that interest and burden, maybe for the first time in a few years, we have among us a growing number of new churches, or new converts rather, and growing churches. And friends, that's good. That's wonderful. Thank God for it. But while it is good, it is also true that that means we are trying to make a generational change from 
first-generation Christians or maybe third-generation Christians to first-generation Christians. A generational change. It raises the question, are we going to pass our heritage to our spiritual children? To the next generation of Christians? I think it raises three options. First, we will either pass on our heritage to our spiritual children, and hopefully we will. Or number two, we will simply become a feeder for the liberal denominations. Or number three, we will shift left to accommodate our new converts. And if we do, we will lose our heritage. I tell you this morning, friends, I have a burning passion. I've been holding a granddaughter in this convention. And I have a burning passion to pass the heritage God entrusted into my hands to my posterity, my family. But friends, I also have a passion to pass the heritage to those that God entrusts into my care as spiritual children, as converts of my ministry or my church. It takes tons of time and sacrifice and prayer and teaching and patience and leadership and commitment to instill into our children the heritage of holiness. It takes no less to instill the heritage into our spiritual children. The final firm conviction I've come to is if the heritage is to be preserved and passed on, it must be done on four levels, from parents to children, from leaders to churches, from school leaders to students, and from Christian to Christian. The question is, can it be done? Before I go further, I think I need to say a, a, a bit about what I mean by preserving our heritage. Let me ask you a question. Now, and I mentioned a moment ago, the vast majority of us would have a conservative holiness heritage. Let me ask you this. How did we become what we are? How did we get where we are? Why do we believe what we believe? What would we be today... This Thursday morning, what would we, this crowd, be if, say, our roots were Presbyterian or Episcopal or Catholic? What would we believe? What would we know? How would we live? My point to you is simply... We, our families, our churches, our entire movement would be drastically different. We would believe different. We would live different than we do if our roots were different, if our heritage was different. My proposal to you is our history has formed us. Hasn't it? Our history has made us what we are. Our roots have produced the tree that we see today. It did not just happen by some mysterious process of religious evolution. No, it was the heritage of doctrine and practice and belief and lifestyle and music and earnest-hearted pursuit after God and discipline and revival and standards and holy separated living. It's a complete package of roots, that heritage that has made us what we are today. Our history has formed us. But, 
And I'm quoting some of what Jim Plank said to last night, but I, I'm, I'm rephrasing it a bit. We have the pen in our hands today. And you know what? We are presently writing our history. Today is our tomorrow's history. We are today writing our history. And if our roots change, we will produce a different tree in the future. I would ask you, how are we doing? <coughs> Heard Brother Bill Snyder say on one occasion, history will teach us if we'll let it. Now, this can be easily demonstrated. Go back to our imaginary line. And on that line, we have all of the denominations in your mind, that in your perception, that have, do, or have taught the holiness message and the conservative message. I don't need to tell you that when you follow that back down to an original point of beginnings, the roots, some have veered off the path. They have become something else. For example... The United Methodist Church has become largely a faint shadow of what they one day were. They share our roots. They have the same beginnings we have. If you go back another generation, what happened? How do you get from here to there? Friends, Somebody didn't keep the holiness heritage alive. Somebody dropped the ball. Somebody put down different roots. Somebody wrote a new history. I don't want that to happen to us. And of course today, some are still veering off. Some have already, others are in the process. They're quickly becoming something else. They are putting down roots today that will produce a different tree tomorrow. I would like to challenge every young parent here this morning and ask you, what kind of history are you writing for your family? What kind of tree will be produced from the roots you are putting down? I would like to challenge every person here who has changed from our heritage or is being tempted to change from our heritage and ask you, what kind of history are you writing? What kind of tree are you planting? I would like to challenge our Bible colleges with this question. Back there somewhere, God gave you roots, gave you a heritage as a Bible college. Are you passing those roots to your students today? Are you writing a different history? Remember, our present is our future history. We are today writing tomorrow's history. We are today putting down the roots that tomorrow will produce a tree, a heritage. 
Sometimes we think we can act independently as individuals or preachers or teachers or Christians. But friends, it can't be done. We are all in the process of making our little contribution to the history that is being written that will be tomorrow's history and tomorrow will be affected by what each of us do to contribute to the picture today. We're living in a day when some are examining us pretty thoroughly. Maybe some of that's good, maybe not so good. But I, I, I felt as though we ought to look at our movement for a moment. Let's, let's look for a few moments at, at what I'll call post-merger days. Now, when I, after I wrote that, it, it dawned on me. I'd probably talking, be talking to a lot of people who don't know what I'm talking about. Post-merger days. How many of you remember, remember merger? I see your hands. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? All right, a lot of younger guys. About 35, 37 years ago, there were changes that took place in the conservative movement that charted a course for the people who are sitting here. Most of us are where we are today because of those changes. Brother Sankey mentioned a moment ago the book by Dr. Brian Black. I want to recommend it ought to be in every home represented here you ought to read our history thank you brother black for your work we need to know our roots it is terribly frightening to me to sit in this convention and many people not know how why we are what we are how we got here if we don't know our roots how will we know if we ever left them You need to know our roots. You need to read Dr. Black's book. Back to the movement. About 37 years ago, there were major changes that took place in our conservative holiness movement. The vast majority of us are here today because of those changes. Older men, some of whom sit here today, many of whom are already dead and gone. Smule, Heron, Griffith, French, Agin, Denton, Whitney, Van Warmer, Gale, Yoakum, Newton, many others. Those men, most of them gone now, 35 to 40 years ago, charted a course, wrote history for us. They gave us roots that have produced a tree. I did not write that history. I was the inheritor of that history. I was dropped into what was given me. 35 years ago, I was 13 years old. I was an observer. I saw things. I heard things. I felt things. But 35 to 40 years ago, our leaders made choices for us that charted a course. Those men... Laymen across the movement, some of who are sitting here to, today, saw dangers. They said, we see drift. We see dangers. I would simply point out to you that the dangers that those men saw, the things they said they saw dangers in, there was no historical precedent for in their lifetime. Let me give you an examples. They said, we see dangers in television. 
They said, we see dangers in wedding bands. We see dangers in organized sports, short sleeves, women cutting their hair. They said, if we accept those things, it will change us. Now, I say again, there was no historical precedent for that in their lifetime. They said, it's drift. It will change us. There was no example before them in their lifetime to tell them. Some of those issues weren't even issues in a previous generation. And they looked at those kind of things. And my question is, were they really dangers? Was there really drift? You know, time is a great verifier. Whatever anyone thinks of the come out group, one fact is indisputable. 35 years ago when our leaders were writing history for us, they said, this is a danger road. This is a danger issue. Friends, I cannot be honest without telling you or faithful and not tell you that the road they said was a danger road was a danger road. I cannot be faithful to this congregation and tell you that the issues they said would change us did change us or people that were us. Didn't it? Am I unfair? We see now where the road led. There are whole movements that verify for us that what our forefathers said were dangerous, things were dangerous, were. 35 to 40 years have passed. It doesn't seem possible. And all of a sudden, I am occupying a different place today than I did 35 years ago. All of us are. Our leaders, preachers, laymen made choices, charted a course, wrote history. And that course has brought us to the place we are. It has produced the tree we see today. Those roots, that heritage. But if you look at our movement today, it's no longer in the hands of the men I named. Is it? I don't mean that critically. It's just fact. I thank God for the godly influence of men who wrote history for us. But as I look at it today, where I am today is the result of choices made for me. But where will I be in 35 more years? My son began to pastor last year. Where will he be in 35 years? Where will his movement be? 35 years will take me off the scene. What will my son inherit? I'll tell you what he will inherit. He will inherit what I give him. What will his roots be, his heritage be? It'll be the heritage I give him. I'm writing his history. We're writing his, the God he knows will be the God I serve. Won't it? The spirit I have will be the spirit my children live with. The lifestyle I embrace will be the lifestyle that will mold my children's future. 
What my children inherit will be what I choose to give them today. That overwhelms me. I tell you, friends, I am very, very interested to, that we pass, preserve and pass on the composite of what we are. I believe with all of my heart that the conservative holiness movement is the best picture of divine objective that I know anything about. The conservative holiness movement is the... You say, are we perfect? No, we're not perfect. But I believe with all of my heart that the conservative movement is the best picture of the divine objective that God gives us in His Word of what He wants people to be. And I'm very interested that we preserve and pass on the composite of what we are broadly as a movement. I am passionately interested that we not leave the doctrine and experience and practice and earnest hearted pursuit of God and music and revival and standards and holy separated living and worship style and lifestyle that has formed us and made us what we are today. I don't offer you magical answers in the remaining time I have, I do want to give you some principles that have offered guidance to me in my personal effort to preserve and pass on our heritage. Number one, if we are to preserve and pass on our heritage, we must, and by the way, before I get into this, I won't get to all 21 points, okay? I've got 20 minutes. So if you want my notes, I, give me your email or something, I'll, I'll, you can have them. I'm not selfish about it. You can have them. But number one, if we're to preserve and pass on, we must make and keep our personal spiritual life vital. The heart of our heritage is a vital walk with God. It is loving God with all of our heart. Friends, before God ever tells you to pass on and teach your children, He says, I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, and strength. The heart of our heritage is a passionate pursuit of godliness. The most important thing I will say is that if we are to pass on our heritage, we must personally and individually and collectively have a burning heart and a real intimate walk with God ourselves. The best of all that is necessary to pass on our heritage, the guidance and wisdom and strength and instincts will flow out of a personal walk with God. I don't think anything else I say would be necessary if we could absorb that point. But then again, maybe there's need for application. Number two, identify the core biblical values of your life and live by them. What values are essential to preserve for the next generation what the last generation gave us? We must seek to identify those core values and believe them enough to live by them. Friends, what we half-heartedly believe, our children will wholeheartedly reject. What we lukewarmly endorse, our posterity will heatedly reject. And we do less than live by and insist on and clearly teach the core values to our families, our schools, our churches. By the way, 
we only believe the parts we live. If our core values, including our standards, are always presented and taught with an out, with an exception, our children, our students, and our converts will take the exception and we will lose the heritage and wonder why. I don't have time to look at the core values, but identify them and live by them. Number three, watch for little deviations Little trendy things that in our culture create an identity with this world and little changes that lead away from our heritage. Little things. Little things that lead from our heritage. This is something I see us losing. Did you know something doesn't have to be sin? to be a bad idea for your family or you? But may I add, if it is a bad idea, it will quickly become sin. It may be the identity, the direction that is the deciding factor. We must test dress, music, attitudes, Hairstyles, shoes, words, entertainment, overall lifestyle, and many other areas by what identity it creates within our cultural context and the direction it leads us. Many things this world does are clearly sinful. We see that, we don't struggle with that. Where we sometimes lose our way is in the things the world does that are not in themselves sinful, but if we do them in our cultural context, will give us a world identity instead of a godly identity. Things that will simply cause the world to look at us and say, they belong to us. They're one of us. They live like us. And before long, you know what happens? We are one of them. And we do look like them. And we do live like them. And we've lost our heritage. There will be thousands of things that come down the pike. You know, I, I, am, I am thoroughly, thoroughly troubled sometimes when I see parents who ignore at a very early age things that create an identity, small things in the lives of their children that in our cultural context make their kids feel comfortable in this world instead of comfortable with God's people. They lose their children and wonder why. There are thousands of things that come down the pike that are not in themselves sinful, but in our cultural context, in, in the cultural context in which they are found, immediately give an identity with this world and set a direction toward this world, and they are a bad idea for our families and our churches. And friends, sometimes the pressure can be absolutely unbelievable from our own children, whether it's our birth children or our spiritual children, to allow things that are not, after all, it's what everybody else is doing it and there is no book, chapter, and verse and you can't show me where it's in. Why can't I do it? And the pressure will be absolutely intense. The 
because there's nothing sinful about it. But friends, our heritage has long insisted that God doesn't want us to fit in in this world or be identified with this world. And friends, if we lose that principle, we will lose our heritage. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration at the risk of being totally misunderstood and written off. I have come to the conclusion that some of us preachers have fallen into the fault of talking about these broad principles and never giving people, what are you talking about? This is what I'm talking about, okay? I believe an example of what I'm talking about is a goatee. Now, I know that I'm talking to some people with a goatee. I want you to know that I'm not in any way trying to unchristianize you or intimidate you or judge your motive. Having hair on your chin is not sinful. Is it? I had a preacher some time ago tell me, <clears throat> he'd grown himself, himself a goatee, and he said, I've decided to hark back to the old holiness days. You know, he's just overlooking one simple little fact. He's not living or ministering in the old holiness days. None of us are. So, let's look at that. I, I believe some of these issues we haven't looked at logically. In our cultural context, who wears goatees? Who made them, them popular? Who grabbed that little identity mark and ran with it? You've been in a doctor's office, a tire store, or something else lately, and picked up a magazine and looked at it? You flip through your newspaper. I live in the Cincinnati area. You flip through the newspaper and see the sports page in the Cincinnati Reds and the pictures of them? Who wears goatees? I can tell you, professional sports figures, country music singers, movie stars, pop stars, quickly picked up by contemporary Christian singers, liberal holiness denominations. Now, some would argue with me and say, that's, that's not a statement. But let me ask you a question. Why aren't those people wearing mustaches? You know why? It's not the in thing right now. It's not the cultural identity mark right now. But wait. An important question needs to be asked in our cultural context. If we grab that little identity mark and bring it to ourselves, what identity have we assumed or identified with? Now, if you just heard me say the way to keep our heritage is keep goatees off of our men, you didn't hear what I said. What I did say is if we lose the principle that God doesn't want us going out there in the world and grabbing the little identity marks that crop up continually 
and assume them for ourselves. God doesn't want us doing that. If we lose that principle, we will lose our heritage. There are hundreds of temporary fleeting lifestyle issues that are constantly hitting the mainstream of our cultural scene. Hairstyles? I'm seeing hairstyles on men and ladies both that immediately make the world think you're one of us. You're one of us. You fit. Shoe styles, clothes styles, little things, yes, but they create an identity in our cultural context with this present world. They are a bad idea if we want to preserve our heritage. Now, you know it, but there is solid biblical principle for this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, it's interesting. I look back on my formative years and it wasn't goatees, it was long sideburns and hair over your ears and mustaches and beards, bell-bottom pants, a lot of other things. You know, I look back to my formative years and I make this observation. I look back there and there were many who saw those identity things and they said it's no big deal. It's not biblical, it's legalism. But you know, I make an interesting observation. For the most part, people who tended to say 35 years ago that those identity marks were no big deal are people who today have veered clear off the path and are no longer even a part of this movement. I say again, our heritage has long insisted that God doesn't want us to fit in and blend if we lose that principle, if we do not preach and teach and live that principle, we will lose our heritage. Let me say just a word about little things that lead away from our heritage. Arnold Cook makes a gripping observation. He says, when changes are made in the midst of revival, they, those changes reflect the moving of the Spirit. But when changes are made without revival, those changes reflect the current level of experience. Friends, I'm scared of those kind of changes. I see us following some changes of the broader movement, the broader movement that worry me. Changes that may seem small and insignificant. But are they changes made in the midst of the heat of revival? Or are they just changes adopting the current level of experience? Things like ladies trimming their hair. Friends, I still believe the Bible teaches the natural length of a woman's hair is her glory. And it, for the life of me, I can't figure out how people trim it and not cut it. I believe if we lose that principle, we'll, we'll take one step toward losing our heritage. I still believe firmly in the principle 
that caused us to say we don't want our people to have televisions. I love it. I love it when the secular media comes out like they did in the pediatric magazine recently and said, I read an article in our newspaper last week and a late, nothing religious about it. She said, if you use a television to babysit your children, you are making a pact with the devil. That wasn't a holiness preacher saying that. I love it when they authenticate what we said was right 35 or 40 years ago. And friends... I am scared to death of the video replacing television and just becoming our, our holiness television. We could go on and talk little things that lead away from our heritage. My time's about gone. Now, let me say one more time. If you heard me say that if we can just keep these standards, we'll keep our heritage. You didn't hear what I said. I said if we lose the principle that guided those standards, we will lose our heritage. It will change us forever. Now, let me make one more statement about standards, types, issues, type issues. Standards are not the centerpiece of my ministry. They are not the centerpiece of my preaching. Some have done that, and I believe that is in balance. But friends, most of us preachers have become gun-shy of ever dealing with it. And that is imbalance as well. Standards are not the thing, but they are a thing. And to make a thing no thing is, is wrong. It's imbalance. One step of passing the heritage is to watch for and guard against little things that lead away from our heritage. Let me give you one more and then I'm going to conclude here. Don't be critical of those more conservative or judgmental of those less. Friends, if as conservative people we are always looking to our right, and anybody that is to our right we call legalistic. And I have an idea that I'm talking to some, some right here that I've been speaking to that you're looking at me and say, he's a legalist. But may I tell you what will quickly happen? The devil will see to it that you will have somebody come up to your left and they'll point at you and say, you legalist? And if legalism is taking a stand on an issue, if that's, that's not what legalism is, by the way. If legalism is taking a stand on an issue, it just depends on where you are in comparison to somebody else. All of us are legalists. And if I'm always pointing, you know what happens? I don't want to be a legalist if I have defined myself, if I have defined legalism as taking a stand and I've said there's a legalist and somebody over here saying there's a legalist, you know what happens instinctively? I move over here because I don't want to be a legalist. Let me ask you, where's the end of that? There isn't any end. There isn't any end.
Arnold Cook, in his book, he asked a sobering question. How does the North American church manage so nicely without revival? And he answers it in one word, substitutes. He gives a list of substitutes. I don't have time to get into that. But he does say this. If we are getting by, replacing the supernatural with substitutes, which appear to serve us well, they will never pass the faith to the next generation. I have talked about some things and I have spent more time than I normally would because of the subject matter that I'm dealing with. But I want to give you this last as urgently and quickly as I can. We dare not substitute anything for a spirit-filled life. If we are to preserve and pass on our heritage, this is a holiness rally. And friends, we must have, we must have the experience of entire sanctification and our people must have that experience. If we don't preach and proclaim and experience the doctrine and experience of the filling of the Spirit, we will never keep our heritage. There is no substitute for the experience and then the life of spirit-filled living to, ex to preserve our heritage. As we look back on 50-plus years as a convention, it is my deep conviction that if we are to remain conservative, holiness people into the new century, we must refocus on our need and responsibility of preserving and passing on our heritage. I close with this illustration. I'm going to tell you the point of the illustration before I give it. There are really two points. Number one, the heritage of conservative holiness can disappear in one generation. But the hope to me is that the heritage of holiness can return in one generation if God finds a person who will obey him. My great-granddaddy my great was a friend's preacher in the 1800s. We didn't know that until my mother was well up in years, just a few years ago, as a matter of fact. It startled me to realize that I had a hole in his heritage on my mother's side and didn't know it. My granddaddy, something happened. I don't know, have time or even know about it enough to go into it much. But my mother was not raised in a holiness church or a holiness family. Until she was 12 or 13 years old, knew nothing about God or righteousness. But one day she got thoroughly saved. And because God found a little girl that would walk in the light and obey him, I'm preaching to you today about preserving a heritage that came back. Three of her sons were on this platform before I preached. Friends, the heritage can come back. One of the highlights of my ministry, I have two living examples, one here today and one that is not able to be here.
girl named Felicia came to our church seven or eight years ago from a sinful family. Typical sinful life. She's a mother of five and her husband's in jail today. She's not able to be here. But Felicia got gloriously saved. One day she had gone to Texas to her mother's funeral and come home and I'm talking about green as grass. Knew nothing about holiness or conservatism. She came to me and she said, Brother Stetler, do you know what a Nazarene is? I said, sure. Why? She said, while I was in Texas, my aunt told me that my granddaddy was a Nazarene preacher. I said, Felicia, your granddaddy was a Nazarene preacher in the 30s. He would have been just like us. Felicia turned white. She said, Brother Stetler, that explains to me something. When I came into this church the first time, she said, I was scared to death to come. But her husband had started coming at that time and had impressed her to come. And she walked into our church. And then I'll never forget the word she said. She said, when I stepped into this church for the first time, I had this overwhelming feeling that I had come home. God has restored the heritage. Brother and Sister Glenn are in this service. Their daughter Marcella comes to our church. Seen right here on the second pew, Doug and Sandra, Austin, Gabriella. They've got a daughter as well, another daughter. They got saved in our last revival. Dan Edwards was preaching and Doug and Sandra plowed in and Got wonderfully saved. I didn't know the Glenn family. I didn't know Doug and Sandra. Didn't know Marcella very well. But I began to learn. <laughs> Brother Glenn's been in our movement for many years. Brother and Sister Glenn, been faithful people. Doug, through a lot of circumstances, not his own, had strayed and gone far from God and wandered around out there, but God tugged on his heart. And for the first time in 20 years, Doug's at convention this year. He got saved last fall, and his family's here with him. And God is restoring the heritage. Friends, I want to tell you it's what we have to offer. It's a good way. It's a good message. It'll save our generation. It's what we need. We dare not let it go. We dare not carelessly fling it aside. We must hang on to it. And if you have those who have strayed, you keep praying. God can restore the heritage. God can bring it back. And God can give us a revival of our heritage and wonderful, wonderful future for tomorrow. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. 